You're listening to 247 Real Talk. I'm your host, Julian Perry, along with my guest for this episode. She is also known as Bad Widow. She's a consultant, speaker, and author who lives in New York. Alison Pena and I will be discussing mental health. Alison, welcome to the show. Thank you for join. Thank you for joining me this evening, and uh, I'm so thank happy you that you're me. a guest on the show. So, why don't yep. we start off by uh, giving uh, the audience a little background information on you, and you know how come we got to this point where we can have this discussion on mental health? Sounds great. Um, I call myself Bad Widow. My husband uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in October 2015 and um, died in my arms at home in September 2016. And uh, so I I was a wife for about 20 years. I was with the same man 25 years. And then on four breaths, I was a widow. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was shocking because I knew who I was. I was a weak. 25 years, I was a we, and then I was an I, and I had forgotten who I was alone. I, the future that I had sort of co-created with my husband just vanished in an instant. And then anyone who has experienced a loss like this knows that there are also physical and emotional effects that happen right afterwards. So my energy was really variable. I had very little energy to reach out to people, to network and do things like that, and I was a consultant. So I couldn't do that work. I had the attention span of a fruit fly, and my memory had gaps in it. Someone could set an appointment with me, and the next second, literally seconds later, I would have forgotten when we were meeting. So those were kind of the physical effects. And then the emotional effects were I was absolutely awash with grief. And then there was anger, and then there was fear. No, that sounds like a whole lot at one time. A whole lot at one time. A whole lot that that made it really difficult to to just be with myself, to wake up in the morning. Um, I think I told you when we talked in our pre-call, I would lie in bed and I would be asleep and I would have the, the visceral memory of my husband's warmth at my back and then I would wake up and remember he was dead. Oh, wow. Every day. And I was sleeping probably 
two to four hours a night. And people would say, well, why don't you just take a nap? And I said, I can't do that waking up more than once a day. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that, that sounds like, you know, we, we, we're, there's so many, um, dynamics surrounding mental health and mental health challenges, sometimes uh, even self-recognition in terms of understanding that that's what you're going through. How did you handle those, the mental health challenges you experienced because of you know, all that happened to you and all, you know, all of a sudden you were thrust into, into a space that you know, many people suffer in silence with and, and and end up being destructive to themselves or those around them. How did you handle all of that once and on all those mental health challenges? Well, it was really a series of baby steps. It was sort of figuring out what worked. Um, I had to first recognize that I wasn't, I didn't have the same capacity that I had before my husband died. So I was, I was, um, not able to do everything that I could do before. It took me a while to get back to increasing my capacity. So I wound up creating nets to, to catch myself. For example, I, my, I had memory gaps. One of the memory gaps was that I wasn't hungry at all. And I had a moment where I would, think that I was hungry. And then I had perhaps 60 seconds to get myself to the kitchen and get food before I would forget again. Wow. And so I put, put baskets of power bars and quick foods around the house so that I would not be relying on my memory. I would also have a visual cue. Oh, food. It it was crazy. Um, I had a little sign by the door. It said, keys, shoes, coat, glasses, I think. Because I wasn't, I I got halfway down the block one time before I realized that I was wearing my slippers. And the only reason I realized it was because my heels got cold. Wow, it's 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 amazing to hear even up to where you've gone so far in your story. You know, we we, we the thing about mental health and mental health challenges we take so much for granted, for granted, especially onlookers. You know, because uh, right. the things that you're saying now, I could never have imagined that I, I I could maybe see you walking down the street and and discern that that was is exactly what you were going through because you probably. In public, you were probably um, behaving in an acceptable manner that no one would even know that that is what you were struggling with. Exactly. Exactly. And the reason I'm giving really specific examples is that I want to be clear that this is really what it's like. And it feels like you're crazy. It feels like you're absolutely out of your mind. I remember getting in the shower and getting out and thinking I had taken a shower, except I was still dry. So my cue that I had actually not gotten the shower done was that I was dry. 
But in my memory, I was sure I had gotten it done. And so it was, I, I had to be really gentle with myself and I had to really um, celebrate whatever I could get done. So if I, I used to, in that first year especially, I would lie in bed and I would think of a reason to get out of bed and I would think of a reason to be alive that day. And sometimes I was able to do a lot and at other times I wasn't. So sometimes I could just get out of bed and go to the bathroom and that's all I could do that day. And other days I could plan a lunch date with a friend and go and see somebody. And as time went on, I just kept pushing myself a little bit more and a little bit more while still being really gentle. Now, I, I can think, I uh, remember in my life when um, I dealt with a loss. And I know yep. that, you know, from my personal experience, that there are a number of things that come with it, a number of, of emotions that I think, you know, it's, it's been probably six years now, I still deal yep. with those emotions. So, you know, in your case, I mean, in, in such an instant devastation, how did you handle things like depression, fear, anger? Because I know I felt those things, grief, tears, you know, feelings of, of confusion. You know, um, some people even feel shame to a certain extent. What, what emotions did you go through and how did you handle them? And, I'm, and then this question is, is that specific? Because these are all components of, of, of mental health and, and uh, mental health capability and, and mental health stability. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that I had to do was I had to acknowledge that this was, that all those feelings were a reasonable response to what had happened. So I had to be willing to say, this doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. This means I'm grieving, or this means I'm really angry that my husband left me here. And, and I literally, I would shout to the sky and I would say, you have it easy. You don't have to find a way to go on. You know, and then the grief, especially if in some moment I was happy, I would just be so sad. Um, so in answer to what did I do, I did a series of things. I let myself be. Um, if I was, was crying a lot, I either let myself cry if I was able to do that, if I was in a setting where that was possible, or I made an appointment with myself deliberately, okay, you're going to just let yourself go at a later time. You know, at six o'clock, you'll be able to be alone and you can do this. So I was really intent on not suppressing it for too long because I knew that would be very bad. The other thing that I did was I, I deliberately did practices to move emotion through my body. So certain kinds of dance practices, singing is a big one for me. 
because singing taps the heart. So it allowed my heart to open and my heart was so hurt that it wanted to stay closed. And so when I could sing or listen to singing, then my heart opened and I, I was able to, to cry or to let the feelings just flow through me and go out. Um, self-expression, I, I really amped up my self-care and I really followed what I, what I needed to do. Okay. You need to go down and be in nature. Okay. You need to do some writing some singing, some exercise or walking or, you know, people do all different things for self-care. What it does is it um, expands our capacity to act, to make better decisions. And ultimately, I had to decide that I was not broken that I suffered a huge loss, but I was not broken. So all of that is, is, is not, I'm just thinking something, um, not wanting to cut your, your train of thought, but so we, we're getting to the sort of the rehabilitation point in your process. But in speaking with many people who have gone through this, I think what would be interesting to hear, especially now understanding your journey I, how did you, were you ever able to identify when you had hit your lowest point uh, in, you know, in terms of mental health? And can you recall what that point was and what was going on at, at the lowest place you found yourself and then, you know, sort of digging yourself out of that hole and, and, and climbing on the journey back up? At my lowest point, I thought, it might be better if I was dead. And I had, I had um, all the hospice drugs from my husband, so I could have suicided. And it's pretty common for widows to suicide within six months. Um, so that was my lowest moment. And not doing that. You know, making a deliberate choice. Yes, I have these. Yes, I could. No, I'm not going to. That was my lowest point, And that's where I decided that if I was going to live, I was going to really live. I wasn't just going to go through the motions. And then I started clawing my way back. And that's that's and that was somewhere in the first year. Okay. Probably and the first four months. That's so important because I think in the power of the conversation that we're having right now, I think one of the tools, one of the the tools of empowerment that we can help anyone who is listening to us, who will hear this podcast, who will find themselves in the exact same struggle is is someone else who has been there and can and can tell them and can share with them that there, there is another option that when you hit rock bottom, that's not the end because it's, it's from everyone that I've ever spoken to who's gone through this, you know, the struggle for, for different people of different personalities is different um, and different yeah. lifestyles. But it's, it's you know, as, as coming out of that, uh, that hole, if you were speaking to someone else 
that you know right now who is at their rock bottom what would you say to empower them to to listen to this podcast and and when they were done and they hit they hit the stop button you know that would cause them to say enough is enough i'm getting up right i would say um that they need to they need to think of something that's beyond the pain and beyond the grief and beyond the fear and beyond the anger to look forward to. And it might be, it could be anything. It could be, I'm going to get together with these particular people. I'm going to go on a trip. So when I got ready to open my heart to, to love again, and it was thinking about loving someone other than my husband would bring up this enormous wash of grief. And so it was the hardest transition and the hardest stretching out that I did. Um, And so I had to put something beyond it that would make the pain I was going to go through to get there worth it. And so I said to myself, okay, I get to have a second epic love affair in my life. I just get that. I'm claiming That's a great way to look at it, yes. But it has to be something that you want enough that it's worth living, not just surviving. And that's a creative thing. And then it's worth going for it. It's worth stretching and pushing against the the barriers. Because there's a lot of, from a depression, it looks like that's all there is. I mean, I used to describe that first year pretty consistently as a wasteland of grief. That's what it felt like. And I couldn't see a horizon. So I had to create a horizon, a made-up horizon. And then I had to start going towards that. So... From all of this experience, and, and, and again, I say all this experience because what you've described is, 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 is sort of an entire life cycle of going from happiness to depression through all the mental health uh, struggles back to where you are yep. today. And before we finish this podcast, we will talk about where you are today and all your endeavors. But I think one of the important things I want to add or I want to discuss in this conversation is, so we both live in New York City. And when we talk about mental health, we cannot ignore the present. And I hear so many, you know, doing podcasts and listening to people, I hear so many stories of the struggles people currently have. They, They sometimes don't identify it with being a mental health challenge, but the the quarantine in New York City, the coronavirus, the job loss, the 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 you know most recently the violence on the streets the all of the things together uh coupled with anything that was going on in life prior to can easily put a person into a state of depression and and, and a mental health challenge and a mental health struggle and do you think that yeah. even with your experience that you is it is it easily recognizable if you see someone else going through that struggle I mean, I, it's easily recognizable to me. This 
this time that we're in feels very much like the time right after my husband died because it's the same kind of circumstances. People's lives have been completely turned upside down and they had nothing to do with it. They didn't choose it. It's not what we wanted. And yet here we are. And so if they've defined themselves by external circumstances, by the job they have, by their health, by their relationships, by, you know, how they fit in the world. If they have said that they are who they are based on external stuff, all that stuff's up in the air. And what it's created is this very strange experience of being in a wasteland, being in this drift where more people than ever before in the history of this country have no idea what their future looks like. And it's terrifying. And that very often leads into depression because we like to know where we're going. And so in these moments, being able to, to tap into the inner resilience is essential because the externals have all gotten dusted right now. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and the thing is, so I think um, as we look around, you know, the debris, so to speak, of New York City, and we're still in a place of uncertainty. You know, I looked at the statistic today and it had creeped up, I think, from 1% to 2% uh, positive in the test, the last uh, testing that was done. And, you know, we are this melting pot of people and this melting pot of tourism and, you know, um, we make the best effort in, in, in New York and we've overcome a lot because I remember when we were close to a thousand deaths a day just in New York. Oh, and, no. and at the same time, we kind of, we're kind of gun shy and we're kind of um, on edge because everything's around us says that we have the perfect storm for, for a resurgence of the coronavirus here with the tourism, yep. et cetera. And, you know, I think people have been bracing for so much for so long that, you know, hearing from you is, is it can also not only be a reality check, but also a feel good story. And I want them to hear the feel good part as well. So I want you to tell them now where you are in life. Now you came from that point. What do you, all your endeavors, you know, tell us about the victory of Allison. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, we've been, so I decided I got a second epic love affair and, and that's, so I'll start with, with work. So I went back to working and I started consulting again. I tutor children. Uh, I've been booked on 35 podcasts in 2020. Um, you can hear sirens. I live by two hospitals actually. Um, uh, the the biggest story probably is that I I fell in love. I got my second epic love affair, and Good um, yeah, and and it was funny. It was I was so scared because 
it was 1992 when I'd last dated. And then it was then 2018. I didn't look the same. I had no confidence. And I just kept pressing through and I was a hot mess. I was crying all the time. And there was one man who just kept being okay with me as I was. And so our relationship is based on this incredible foundation of being truthful from the worst moments. Um, so I have an amazing business practice. My husband left me uh, 800 paintings. So I have all this gorgeous art in my house that I'm, you know, selling and placing and keeping. Um, I work with clients um, specifically in the area of resilience with three basic steps. The first is to re-engage. So re-engage in life. Step back into life. Start pushing at the edges. This is a lot what we've been talking about. The second is to reinvent yourself. Any loss and depression creates a big gap between who you thought you were and who you are in the middle of the depression, which is, it picks up a huge pocket of grief and it needs to be gotten past. And so the second is reinventing yourself. You're not going to go back. So who are you now and what do you want in the future? And the third is rebuilding. After my husband died, I was way too much for a lot of people. I could go in the first year into tears in a minute, peeling carrots. And in the second year, I could go to rage in 30 seconds for no reason. And that was a lot for people to take on. So I lost people out of my life. So the third piece was rebuilding. All of these are necessary to step out of a depression. Okay, and now so you're that's what I'm up to. Now you're you're an author. Tell us about that. Yep. I'm writing a book which will come out in the fall, um, about this story of Bad Widow and some of the lessons I learned along the way. Um so that I can help more people with what I know. Um, I am also going to be launching a podcast. Great. Um, yeah. And I am in a print magazine that's going to come out on September 3rd, <laughs> which was, was pretty funny, actually. So it, it I was asked to do it in... February, maybe, before coronavirus hit. And they said, this probably won't happen. This is starting to ramp up. And so I just forgot about it. And before they opened up to anyone being able to get a haircut, <laughs> they called and said, it's on. Great. And I thought, okay. <laughs> I haven't had my haircut in months i've been eating coronavirus eating <laughs> we <I'm> all have <laughs> <laughs> and there are going to be four full-length photographs in this thing and i just 
let it go. I just was like, this is a celebration. This is an amazing thing. I'm going to be in a print magazine for the first time ever with a story on me. And the photographs will be what the photographs will be. And my hair is not going to be nicely cut. And it's okay. So there's a... The, the the big thing about when you're depressed and when you move out of it is being okay where you are while wanting more and then going in that direction. And that is that. And that, that's how I got here. And that is kind of, uh, um, leads into my other thought and, and, and question. And that is, you know, why, why you believe that self care you know, as a part, as a scheduled self-care is essential part of making sure that you're okay and doing well. Yeah, scheduled, when when we're exhausted, we can't think of doing anything for ourselves. We just don't have the brain power to do it. So I wound up asking my friends who know a lot about self-care, I said, give me your best self-care tips. And I came up with a list of a hundred self-care tips. And so when I was exhausted, when I knew that I was depleted, I didn't have to think something up. I could just go to the list. The other thing that's really important about self-care is that when we're kids, we know that um, little things are wonderful. Like a family in a neighborhood gets a new refrigerator and they have the box and there are children in the house and the box is a cave and a pirate ship and a house and a, you know, a pit. It's a box. And when we become adults, we forget that a box can be about 15 different things. That there's joy in going and taking dish soap and blowing bubbles. And we start thinking that it has to be expensive. You know, you can't get a massage in New York City. You just are able to get your nails done. Yeah. Just are able to get your hair cut. So a lot of the things that people think of as self-care haven't been possible. We've my boyfriend and I we were testing our edges of safety because it's really weird to be scared of people. It's really strange to veer away from people on the street and to be scared of people. And so we needed to, to make our horizons bigger. And so we started to go out um, on buses and on trains and on ferries masked, you know, the whole thing. But so we could see new stuff and walk around. The only problem is our our travels are limited to where there are bathrooms that we can go to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, these are practical things yes. you've got to think about these days. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I want to put in a... Uh, uh, a shameless plug for you because I've looked at the website badwidow.com 
and seeing the wonderful art on there. So, you know, I'll, I'll let my audience know that you should go to badwidow.com because there's some amazing art on there. And, um, and it, you know, it, it would be, it's a tribute to where you started and where you've come. Um, and so as we, as we, you know, get ready to wrap up this episode, is there a message, uh, that you like to leave us with something that we will remember specifically that Allison told us on this episode. Um, I would say for someone who has is or has been in a depression to trust yourself, to trust what you know to be true about your own experience. So if you're having a hard day, be really gentle. If you're feeling energetic, go do a lot of stuff. But trust your own experience. That's what I would say. Great, great. And so this has been a wonderful experience in having this conversation with you because, you know, we mental health is something that we can look at on the surface and not recognize how deep it can be and how, you know, and the depths to which a person can go in the process and how low they can get. And then, you know, we, we don't necessarily think about it enough to understand the journey back to where we see someone who has recovered or who's made it through. And it's that important because we know of a lot of people who have not made it through. I mean, you and I discussed, and I mentioned before, it seems like in the last well, I don't know, year, a year and a half. Every time yep. I, I get the extra TV um, emails every day and it seems like I'm scared to open them now because every other day I open it and there's some celebrity of some level that's committed suicide. And, oh, and I know. it's a difficult thing for me. You know, at, at first on, on, on face value, you kind of want to just blurt out and say, well, wait a minute, they've got fame, they've got money, they're, they're good looking, they've got all the best doctors, the best access to this and that. What do they have to you know, be depressed about. And you never realize that mental health and the challenges and all the depression and things that come with it don't care about money, don't care about fame, don't care about friends, don't care about it's a it's a it's 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 something that, that has a lot of solitude to us and an introversion to it. So, you know, getting this message out there is so, so very important because if, if, if we help in this conversation to empower one person to pick themselves up from where they are when they think that there's no hope and they move forward, then we've done our job tonight. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I would, the thing that I would say to your audience is you are not alone. In normal times, one in 10 people, and they, these are statistics, I believe it's much higher than this actually, in normal times, it's one in 10 people experience depression in their lives. Right now, it's much higher. Yes, it has so to be. So you are not alone. Yeah. You are not alone. So, Allison, thank you so, so much for being a guest. It was my absolute pleasure of have, having you on this episode, and I'm pretty sure my audience feels the same. We thank you for imparting your knowledge and sharing your story. And, um, I want to wish you good luck, but at the same time, I want to say that I may reach out to you again to uh, continue the conversation, you know, uh, as, as my audience demands. But thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Have a good night now.
You too. Bye-bye. say a very special thank you to my guest Allison Penn for joining this episode and for giving us so much in, inside knowledge into mental health and the epidemic that it is in New York City especially but around the world. I also want to thank all my listeners for your continued support and I remind you that you can listen to this episode coming out this Friday or any of my episodes on your favorite podcast app. You can also head over to the website at www.247realtalk.net where you can leave comments, etc. And you can email me at podcast, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at 247realtalk.net if you'd like to leave me a message or if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Until we meet again, take care of yourselves and each other.